Community engagement, so important. So number one, how do you identify a need? Number two, how do you construct the event? And number three, how do you judge the success of it? Well, today, David Titel of MIT Medical is going to tell you how coming up on the Marketing Mouse podcast. Work, 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 work. It's a rule around here. Work hard. Play hard. I have eight different bosses right now. A big pardon? Eight bosses. Eight? Eight, Bob. What if I work late? You work late. But I made the appointment two months ago. I'm here. Fresh off the lips of health marketing experts, this is Marketing Mouths. And now, here's Bill Klaproth. Taking what they're giving because I'm working for a living. That's right. Welcome to the Marketing Miles podcast, episode number six in the hyper-competitive world of hospital marketing. It can be hard to keep up, so it's our mission to bring you marketing, PR, and social media experts, IT pros, and other guests with information and insights to help you stay on top of your game. And we're so excited to have David Titel with us. David is the Director of Marketing at MIT Medical. David leads the award-winning marketing and communications team, managing all the communication needs of MIT Medical. And today, David and I are going to talk about community engagement. David, thank you so much for joining me today. Before we dig in, can you fill us in a little bit on the blanks of your career and uh, tell us what's fun for you in your off time? Oh, my career, sure. Um, so I actually started as a professional astronomer um, and realized that I liked telling people about science more than doing it. I had done things like use the Hubble Space Telescope and had flown to Hawaii to observe things and worked on Mars data and fun stuff like that, but realized that I was really, at the end of the day, a storyteller. So I got a master's degree in science journalism. I did astronomy reporting for eight years. Um, I did a stint in food science reporting, and um, I've now moved into healthcare. Uh, but it all thematically is the same thing, which is taking complex concepts and really distilling them and translating them for the general audience. I'm doing it here now at MIT for healthcare. So interesting. I don't think I've ever talked to an astronomer turned marketing pro before. So David, let's jump into community engagement. Why is community engagement so important? Well, just with all marketing things, you really want to be as audience focused as possible. And the best way to get people to your brand and to your services is by really getting that emotional um, in-person response, something that they can really relate to. And community engagement starts there. Uh, for us, because we're on a college campus, we're not, the MIT Medical works exclusively for the MIT community. So we can't sell our services to Harvard or to Boston. We really are here exclusively for the MIT audience. So for us, community engagement is where it begins and where it ends, because it's not about soliciting new customers and new patients. It's about getting them to utilize the services that they have on campus and the benefit that they have on campus, keeping the MIT community as healthy and vibrant and active as possible. That's so true, and each community has different health needs or issues. So how do you identify an area or a need that would be best served by a community engagement strategy? Well, I mean, it really does depend on the different audience, and it's getting to know your audiences. First and foremost, um, personas matter. It's really important for any marketing group to take the time to understand their community, understand their audience, and doing detailed personas. 
For example, we have a very large international audience, as you might imagine, um, being at MIT. We get scientists and experts from around the world and their families coming to the United States. And for many of them, it isn't just their first experience with healthcare at MIT. It's their first experience with healthcare in the United States of America. Um, there are some really interesting challenges that come when you're serving an international population, as we do in many ways. So understanding that and learning how to engage those patients in a way that um, matters to them and is relevant and really resonates with them is, is critical. So it's about, it's first and foremost, it's about understanding your audience well. So getting to know your audience and paying attention to those personas. So then how do you plan for this? How do you decide we're going to do this or we're going to do that? What steps need to be taken? So I think that some of that starts with conversations with your clinical staff and the people who are on the front lines to really keep your finger on the pulse of what are the patients telling you. Uh, surveys are always a possibility, um, and you can always learn things from there. Uh, most healthcare organizations are working with a group like Prescani. Looking at those scores and looking at those comments can tell you a lot about what's good and what's not. And at the end of the day, utilization, looking at your numbers. If you want to see more mammograms and the numbers are below what you want them to be, that kind of defines what your next campaign is going to be. So some of it comes from up top and demands from the C-suite, but most of it should be, and at least where we are here, is almost exclusively patient-driven. Uh, we listen to the patients. We see what their buying habits are by the services they receive. And we listen to the clinicians who are working with them in the exam rooms to find out what, it, what they need and how we can help. All right. So that's really good. So listen to what your patients are telling you. Uh, do some surveys. Take a look at the Preschini scores and look at the numbers of things you want to increase. So let's talk about tools or techniques then. What should be, we be aware of? So I think most people have uh, more aces up their sleeve than they, th than they realize. Uh, one of the things that we've done here on the college campuses take advantage of all the things that a college campus has to offer. Uh, for example, when we're trying to engage students, the old free pizza and t-shirts thing, it still works. Uh, so don't be afraid to do, you know, guerrilla marketing of sorts based off what you learn from those personas. Uh, you can reach people uh, at home, where they work, in different walks of life, different areas of life. Uh, there are all different ways that you can engage your audience. But at first, it all starts with understanding who they are, um, what technologies they use, what social media platforms they use, what their lifestyles are, and then getting creative. So how do you judge success, David? What's a win to you when doing this? So I think any campaign that you do at any time, you need to go in with a predetermined metric of what you're trying to accomplish and what success should look like. So you start by your benchmark of what is it you're trying to get at. Um, and sometimes a win isn't necessarily a metric you've hit, but it's a lesson learned and uh, an experience that you've been able to take away and a better understanding of the community you're trying to serve. So it, it really depends on a case-by-case -case basis. In some cases, it's about, as I was saying, getting more mammograms or getting more colonoscopies. 
Um, in some cases, it's about educating the community so they understand how to better use their health insurance. What's a copay? What's coinsurance? What's a deductible? Uh, if you can pull people before and after so there's less confusion about these topics and less stress, bringing call volume down on simple questions that you as a marketing team can help answer, things that aren't so complex that they need to be answered in an exam room, um, and bringing an informed consumer to the facility. These are all things that can be wins based off how you set up, what def defining what a win would be ahead of time, knowing the goals you're trying to hit. Yeah, a lot of areas and a lot of uh, potential wins there. That's a great list, David. Thank you. So how often do you plan for community engagement uh, events or type things? Uh, what would be a good number for someone listening, like one a quarter? Or is it just you know, subjective to that individual hospital and community? I think it's absolutely subjective to the individual community and what you're trying to get at. Now, most calendars have periodic events that you can really use as tent poles um, that you can, you know, sort of stake your claim at and you can pivot your marketing around those foundational events. For us at MIT, one of our key ones is our flu clinics. We also have uh, new student orientation when all the freshmen come in. That's a great opportunity. Uh, commencement is a great opportunity. So in an academic calendar, we have some pretty set things that we can use as those events that we can use for major community engagement. Sometimes you aren't as lucky as having a, an academic calendar at your disposal to be able to sort of use as a crutch, in which case you can sort of create your own. You can create a summer barbecue or a winter fest or a spring something or other. You can find events in the calendar or create events in the calendar that you want to call your own and make a thing that ultimately becomes part of your brand and part of your identity. So you don't necessarily have to wait uh, if you want to get out there and trailblaze. Right. So following the calendar is a good idea. And if you have something that doesn't necessarily fall into the calendar, make your own event. That totally makes sense. So let's talk about a couple of real world examples. We're going to take it right from MIT. You've recently done a couple of flu shot events. Can you tell us about those? Oh, sure. So um Flu shots have become really a campus celebration here, speaking about creating your own events. And uh, I'll tell you about two of the campaigns we've done recently. Last year, we did something where we took 650 koosh balls and we <laughs> hid them around campus. We put them on keyboards, on bathroom sinks, in classrooms, in eating areas. And on each one, we attached a little tag. And on the tag, it said, See how easy it is to pick up the flu. And on the back, there was a contest, which was take a selfie with your flu ball and post it to social media. And we randomly, randomly selected from the people who post to our hashtag um, a $50 Amazon gift card. So it wasn't big money, but it was, pun completely intended, a viral campaign just getting people excited about it. And when you've got a science-focused campus like MIT, and koosh balls actually look surprisingly like flu viruses, um, it worked out really well. It made the front page of the student newspaper, and we got some really great numbers. Um, something like, what was it? It was like 4,600 students got shots. It was 
over 40% of the uh, 45% of the student population got flu shots last year. That so is amazing. That was, that I was love a fun that. One. Yeah, I um, love that. That's so good. This year, we decided to up the game a little bit. Uh, we our entire marketing campaign was based around the concept: Can MIT give 10,000 flu shots in a day? Really mm-hmm. tapping into the competitive spirit of the campus and. The, the answer is we did not. We did get about 7,500, but our previous record was 54.55. So big audacious goals, and we got this campus super excited. And we actually, what we ended up doing was we gave everybody who came in line a sticker uh, with a number on it, and which flu shot number were you. And so we had a sense during the day of what number we had gotten to because the numbers kept going up and up and up. Uh, one of the local dorms was mapping it on, uh, on a website in real time, what number it was with what time, so you could watch the curve to see if we were getting closer. And everybody loved it. And the whole thing was attached to, again, a social campaign. Uh, we had a hashtag 10K in one day. And it was the top trending hashtag in all of Cambridge, Massachusetts during the time. And I don't know how many people have gotten their flu clinic to be the top trending thing in in their city. But I'll tell you, in, in the greater Boston area, when you can beat the Patriots and the Red Sox, <laughs> you're on to something. Uh, we were bigger than any politics. We were bigger than sports for a five-hour period of time. 10K in one day was the most talked about thing in all of Cambridge on Twitter. I love that. And that certainly is a win. So cool. And I, you have to tell us about this. You also did a campaign with Balsa Wood Flyers. Tell us about that. Oh, sure. Again, um, you know, t- again, knowing personas, knowing, knowing your audience. One of the things that we're always doing is we're always tabling at new student orientation, prospective student events, wellness fairs, things like that, places where we can just remind people of the services they can get at MIT. But as with all tabling events, any conference you've gone to, there's got to be swag of some sort, right? Um, But I'm at an engineering school, so it's got to be something that's going to be enticing to all the scientists. So what we did was we purchased a whole bunch of balsa wood flyers. And you thought little kids got excited about building their own little airplane? <laughs> Wait till you get to MIT students. I mean, there were lines, absolute lines to get a hold of these airplanes. And, you know, it's your classic balsa wood flyer, right? You know, they were branded MIT Medical on the wing, and people are throwing them around and having a grand old time, but they're engaged with the brand and having a good time. And that's what it's all about. And again, even at those social media, I mean, sorry, even at those tabling events, we were doing social media promotion. So we had a big sign on the, on the table which said, like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, and be entered in a contest to win a prize. So again, the end game for us is communication. We need to be able to reach these students in case there's a public health issue, and we need to be able to give them the information they need so they can stay healthy. They're not engaged with our brand on social. We can't actually reach them. So how do we get them into the net? How do we get them as part of the part of the communication channel? Things like giving away wooden airplanes. So cool. I love all of those examples. And you were just talking about social media, so that brings up a good point. On your examples, how did you spread the word? Did you use that? specifically using social media or traditional media, email, banner ads? How did you build awareness of these events? 
So, um, again, because I'm on a college campus, I'm able to cheat a little bit because I have much more at my disposal because I've got the whole college campus infrastructure. So we have digital signage around the campus that we're able to use. There is, again, the school newspaper. Uh, emails that go to all of our staff are tremendously helpful and tremendously powerful, as well as flyers, your classic college flyers that go on every wall along with 10,000 others. Um, you just staple them everywhere you can. We have sandwich boards that we put around campus. And what was really great about the 10K in one day hashtag was everybody had a sticker saying they got their flu shot, almost like an I voted sticker. And that was able to generate buzz. When you went back to your lab and you had your flu shot and then your three lab mates look at you and they've got a, they're like, oh, I can do that today. And then they come moseying on over. And next thing you know, our numbers are going up and up and up. So it's all about being creative and using what you have at your disposal. Did you start teasing this ahead of time? Like in two weeks from today, it's, um, you know, uh, flu shots, 10K in one day. How did you tease that out or how did you really let people know that, okay, on this day we're doing this? So um, email is our most powerful distribution channel, but it, it's, you can use it like once or twice a year before people really start ignoring it. So that's something that we use email for. But again, the signage campaigns and just social and really just, a little bit of generating buzz any and every way we can is everything we could could do, we did do to get this going. What we did learn about this flu clinic was it, we held it a little too late. We held it toward the end of October, and a lot of people had gotten their shots at CVSs and Walgreens or various other places. So if we're going to break 10K next year, which we're sure going to try to do, mm -hmm. uh, we're going to aim to do end of September because we think we'll be able to gather a lot of people that way. David, last question on community engagement before we get to the marketing mouse wheel of questions, the hottest podcast game going. What else do we need to know about community engagement? I think don't I think it's that don't try too hard. Use what you have at your disposal and just be efficient with the resources you have. I think everybody feels like they've got to reinvent the wheel or come up with the most innovative campaign known to humanity. And it's, it's not like that. Uh, every marketing team has a ton of tools at their disposal. It's about using them wisely, using them efficiently, looking at the behaviors of your audience and taking advantage of opportunities as they, as they present themselves. Again, at the end of the day, it comes down to knowing your audience and those personas. It really begins and ends there some days. Well, that makes sense, and thanks for sharing your valuable lessons on community engagement, David. We appreciate it. But now, before we let you go, it's time to step up to the wheel for the patented marketing mouse wheel of questions. All right, David, here we go. Step up there, grab the wheel, and give it a spin. All right, good job. It's coming to a stop. Here we go. All right, first question. David, what's the best part about your job? The best part about my job is the MIT community and our patient population. Uh, remember, I'm a former scientist, so these are my people. Um, and I just love the fact that I'm in a place where telling folks to get a flu shot isn't enough. I have to explain to them why and how it works. That's the fun part. All right. Sounds good. Okay. Grab the wheel and give her another spin. Okay, here we go. If you could have dinner with any famous person, living or dead, who would that be and why? Oh, wow. Famous person, living or dead. 
you know, at this point, I'm I, I kind of would I'm kind of curious. I ask Barack Obama for dinner. Mm-hmm. I, I I really I'd love to sort of digest how that all went because it was the first presidency that I really paid attention to from beginning to end, and just I'd love to learn the inner workings of politics. That'd be interesting. Yeah, that would be uh, that would be a great sit down. That's for sure. All right, David, uh, grab the wheel. Give her another spin. Let's do it. Okay, love this one. This is always a fun one. If you could be cast to play a TV medical doctor, who would you want to play? Would it be number one, Dr. Gregory House from the TV show House, played by Hugh Laurie? Number two, Dr. Doug Ross from ER, played by George Clooney? Or number three, Dr. Doogie Hauser from Doogie Hauser MD, played by Neil Patrick Harris? Who would you oh, choose that's to no play? Brainer. Doogie, 100% Doogie, 100%. And in fact, had you not listed him, I would have said D, Doogie Hauser, MD. Oh, my God, I love it. That's so funny. So good. No you must, brainer. You must have been a fan. No brainer. Wow. Well, I mean, you know, House was a genius, but he just wasn't a nice person. Right. Doogie, Doogie was awesome. He'd solve it and, like, you know, had teen angst going at the same time. you got to respect that. I love it. Well, a lot of people choose uh, Clooney, of course, because of George Clooney. But wow, that's <laughs> awesome. I love it. I love it. Okay, one more time. Last spin, and uh, then we'll have you on your way, David. Give her a spin. Last one. Here we go. Okay, coming to a stop. All right, here we go. Finish this sentence. Throughout my life, the most important thing I've learned is... Throughout my life, the most important thing I've learned is to build strong relationships. At the end of the day, it's not what you know, it's who you know. And the people who you've helped 20 years ago may come back and help you. Um, people who have helped you, you can come back and help them. Uh, I, have, I am as successful as I've I am because of the people around me who have helped me to get there, and I do my best to help others to be as successful as they can be. Um, nobody can do it alone, and we're all in it together. So it's all about the relationships. Love that. That is so true. We all need each other. We are all in this together. That's so true. David, thank you so much, and thank you for your time today. How can someone listening connect with you? Oh, sure. Um, well, I'm, I'm on LinkedIn for sure. Um, and you can also reach us at medical.mit.edu. Um, pop us an email and uh, we can answer any and all questions you have. Love it. And we'll put David's info on the show notes page at marketingmouths.com. David, thank you again so much for your time. I really appreciate it. And thank you for listening to the Marketing Mouths podcast brought to you by Dr. Podcasting. Learn more at drpodcasting.com. I'm Bill Klaproth. Thanks again.